0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be giving around 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on matters of the moment. Uh, we deliver for our subscribers a weekly roundup in much more detail of what we're going to talk about. We also deliver, uh, optionally, a daily news roundup five mornings a week. So if you're interested in, in that, subscribing to that and, f- and being on top of what's going on in the hotel space, uh, on a daily basis then do take a look at the website hotelanalyst.co.uk for more details. Now we're going to start this week by taking a look at what some of the economy brand operators have been telling us about how things are going for them. Uh, by and large um, it looks like things are performing more strongly than they'd expected. We've just had an update from uh, Whitbread uh, operators of Premier Inn in the UK and Germany. Uh, Germany particularly coming back very strongly and things looking good in the UK. We also had reports report from Scandic in Scandinavia who have upped their uh, expectations for their first quarter um, results, uh, they've improved their, their outlook because they say things are, are looking very well. Um, we also had recently figures from Travelodge again outperforming the market uh, and in Germany also Motel 1 uh, looked to be recovering quite well too. Germany uh, is a bit behind um, the UK in terms of its uh, its return to normality, but seems to be picking up very strongly. Um, these figures all kind of are interesting in that they seem to be somewhat more optimistic, uh, more positive than the doom and gloom we're hearing from some others around the general economy. And their kind of positive thoughts uh, their, their excited outlook is sort of also underwritten a bit by some new figures released by Amadeus, their Demand 360 um, survey, which looks backwards but also looks forward. And, and they say forward bookings are looking particularly strong across most Western markets, um, although, you know, there, there is still a situation where a lot of consumers are booking within a week before travel. Um, The situation is such that uh, bookings are strong and uh, the advice from Amadeus is uh, don't drop your rates if you don't look look like you're full or nearly full over the next few months because people are still booking at the last minute and they will pay. So good news all around it seems. Well, up to a point, it's quite
1: bizarre. If you look in the rear view mirror, it's never been rosier. But if you look through the windscreen, it seems that we've got an almighty car crash um, happening. Um And there's this split between current trading and the the future economic outlook. Um, I, however, am a lot more optimistic about the future than, um, I think, the. um, well, we can be more optimistic about the future in hospitality than the general economy. Now, I think the general economy undoubtedly has some challenges ahead. Of course, inflation is a huge issue. Um, We've talked about... Actually, inflation perhaps being a little bit overblown. Um, it's simply because it's been such an unknown, we haven't seen it for decades. Suddenly, to have it thrust upon us in a double digit format is uh, creating a lot of uncertainty. But there are good reasons to believe it's not entrenched and is not going to get entrenched. Um, providing that it's the case, I think the economy is not going to be too bad. But let's start with this great. Uh, period we've gone through in the last few months. Um, There's this view which is extremely positive in the rear view mirror. Uh, If we take Whitbread and it's in the biggest UK hotel brand, um, it's Q1. Now their Q1 is is their financial year Q1 different to a calendar year Q1, Um, but it's 21.3% ahead on a like for like basis in accommodation sales when compared to the same Q1 pre-COVID. Now, that's a phenomenal result. I mean, that is just an incredible uplift. If we carry on with that for the rest of this year, and I think there's a very good chance that it will, um, we're going to be, we won't have known a recovery like it. I mean, this this level of strength we've got is is phenomenal. Um, and we're seeing this really across the board, um, in different, I mean, we talked about travel lodge a few weeks ago, uh, 20% up, um, you know, and you look at other bits of the travel sector. So I, I talk about, um, some remarks by analysts at Bernstein in my written piece, um, on this story, and they pointed to tour operator on the beach and they had, uh, sales in their five-star holidays which are up 150% um, compared to 2019 I mean you know it doesn't get much better than that really and then Bernstein said it's I think it's worth just quoting them um, this disconnect between strong consumer demand and weak investor sentiment has been a defining theme for our sector this year Um, and I think that investor sentiment is very much on in terms of the shareholders rather than investor sentiment in terms of wanting to buy real estate because as we've previously remarked there's a lot of appetite still out there to acquire hotel and hotel related real estate so we've got this bizarre situation where um, major hotel groups are suffering um, because of these future fears um, and yet they've got this phenomenally fantastic Um, trading recent trading record Um, I think the danger is everybody's looking at the economy and doing a direct read through saying oh we're going into an economic uh, downturn quite possibly a recession Um, this is going to make the wheels fall off the overall hospitality sector that's what happens usually right Um, well not necessarily this time around It's very dangerous always dangerous when you're talking about investment to say this time will be different but I think that correlation between GDP performance and hotel demand is not gonna be anywhere near as firm as we have seen in the recent past and i think there's a number of reasons why um, this won't be the case Um, we've got super strong tailwinds at the moment thanks to pent-up demand from consumers Um, consumers are moving away from spending on stuff and moving towards experiences now this you know it's the same people that are saying oh you know COVID has changed fundamentally the reasons people travel um, and business travel is not coming back well yeah okay you accept that but if you you also need to buy into the fact. If you think of this transformational effect of COVID, you also need to buy into the uh, the piece that actually we're moving away from stuff and towards experiences. Because I think that's what's happening, and has been sped up by by COVID. um And you know, as as regular listeners to this podcast will know, we're we're not bears on business travel. We do think it's going to come back. Uh, Morgan Stanley uh, did a survey of corporate travel managers they Put out a note this week and they found that um, budgets are expected to be six percent below 2019 levels this year now back in july 2021 um, they said it was going to be 18 percent below 2019 levels this year i suspect by the time we get to the end of the year we're going to be have pretty much parity if not better with 2019 and at the end of the day that's the key bit is this spend piece now Sure, airfares are probably going to be significantly higher this year, but if some of the talk of traveling less but staying longer comes true, that will still see a shift to to spend on, on hotels. Um, and I think that's going to be a good thing overall. Um, and we, we're also in a position where right now for corporate hotels, half of their income is coming from leisure normally it's a third with two-thirds from business travel so if if business travel gets close to getting back to where it normally is we've got this huge super boost coming in you know for the second half of the second half of this year and into 2023 Um, and certainly Bernstein said how they really don't think we've got a cliff edge coming in terms of uh, future demand for hotels they say we've got a number of areas where we still haven't seen uh, travel coming back online and that's going to be be a further the boost to it, so and they and they say, look, you know, and again, as we've been saying about this cost of living thing, um, they said most of the people who are spending on travel and holidays, they are in the top income brackets and they they gave numbers saying if you take the top three deciles for income in the uk um that's 70 percent of the spending on holidays in the uk in that top 30 percent of household income um so there's real reason to think actually yes sure that uh, people in this bracket are going to be squeezed but they are prioritizing spending on travel and it's not going to have anywhere near the impact a lot of people are building in at the moment. So I think this correlation between hospitality and GDP is going to be weak and I don't think you can do a read-through saying the economy is going to get tough therefore um, the whole of travel is going to be suffering. Um, So I, I do think that travel is very much going to be a relative winner as we have a downturn um, in the economy and i think there's no question we're going to see a downturn um we can debate whether it's going to be uh, um, <laughs> a recession or not but i mean you know there are better places to get, get information on, on that particular thing than than this podcast but what i think i'm pretty convinced with is that travel is going to be a relative winner.
0: Now we heard recently from the senior executive team at Choice Hotels in, uh, in America they were uh, keen to do some M&A and uh, last week they revealed uh, they'd done some. Uh, they spent $675 million buying the American bit of Radisson Hotels. Um, so uh, an interesting deal because it ends up being Radisson owning the Radisson brands and running the Radisson brands uh, across EMEA and Asia Pacific uh, meanwhile in the Americas they're now going to be run under Choice Hotels so um, Andrew we've, we've spent some time listening to uh, reactions and dissecting what people think about this uh, looks like it's quite a good deal for Choice uh, but the question is mm. is it a good deal for Radisson?
1: Mm. Well it's a good Deal for Xinjiang, I think, in terms of being able to offload what is the weakest bit of the the Radisson mm-hmm. Empire. Now, the Radisson in in Americas has been um, a weak area. It's been a less profitable area, um, certainly from the the people uh, I've talked to have got sight of those numbers I mean it's it's not been a listed vehicle so it's very hard to be certain on this but certainly for the people I've talked to they've suggested this is by far the weakest Mm. bit of the overall Radisson empire Resdor was much stronger and Resdor has now picked up um, well within that remaining bit of the Radisson hotel group um, they've now got what what was Carlson, um, who had North America, and they had Asia-Pacific. That Asia-Pacific bit, fast-growing, particularly good presence in India, um, that is now with what was the former residor bit. Um, so in a way, you've, you've packaged up all the tastiest bits of this group and got rid of the the trickier trickier area I mean certainly you know within that you've got Radisson one of the reasons for example they introduced Radisson Blue was because the Radisson brand in the U.S. was so poor quality that they wanted to make a clear distinction between Radisson Blue and Radisson uh, if you like core brand Um, because they were worried that the the, you know the better invested Radissons in in Europe were being tarnished under the poor reputation of the Radissons in North Mm -hmm. America Um, and indeed they sort of uprated a few Radissons persons in in the US and turned them into blues as well. Um, They've also got um, country inns and suites, which has had several abortive attempts of coming into Europe. Um, It's not a brand which has a lot of resonance and I don't think it works very well and in any case sitting exactly in the same market segment is Prize Hotel which is I I would argue a much better proposition um, across EMEA than um, country inns and suites and in fact the only uh, countries outside of the Americas country inns and suites have made any sort of progress with has been India and China. so it'll be interesting to see where that goes but um so in in at one level this has been good news on another level it's just made the whole thing even more complicated because <laughs> it was already a fairly uh tricky patchwork mm. because you've got these master franchise agreements i mean we wrote about last oh, month pphes yeah in terms of it's it's now it's got a master franchise deal for park plaza in the mea europe anyway and it has um, now it's taking on art. O- well, uh, Radisson is taking on Art Hotel, the PPH brand. Yeah, so if, if PPH wants to
0: open an Art Hotel in New York, like they were planning to before the pandemic, in doing that, for example, yeah. That's-
1: yeah, well, that's very interesting, isn't it? No, absolutely. You've got that. So you've got that. You've also got Edwardian in London as mm-hmm. well, uh, worth mentioning. Who have the big portfolio in London of prize properties, and also the one in Manchester. So you've got that complexity as well. Um, and and as you say, it's you've got this bizarre situation where you've got two hotel come uh, two companies running um, a group of the same group of hotel Mm -hmm. brands now we have had that in the past Hilton is probably the the best known example of that where you had Hilton North America and you had Hilton rest of the world very similar situation as to what we're getting here with the Radisson group of brands Um, ultimately they found the only way of running this properly was to bring it all together it's a bit bizarre that we're sort of going this 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 way this time around um i i have to say i think this is effectively got um radisson hotel group on the block um but i don't think it's you know it's a very tempting proposition for any global hotel major given the complexity of the brand thing so it really leaves open to private equity as the the sole group of buyers who are going to be wanting to pick this up and look at getting a uh, an operating platform um, you know and a very strong operating platform Um, so I, I think Xinjiang will be looking to unload in 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 that direction and um well maybe you know maybe there's a deal here with uh, wazoo who can take on steigenberg and roll that in together as well who knows um but um, there's certainly a bunch of things on the in you know um uh, possible from this um know there's also rumours swirling that uh, the headquarters of um, RHG might be moving from Brussels to Madrid Um, that's going to unsettle things and it could well be a catalyst for further change so there's a lot of things in play here um, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing uh, RHG um, on our pages quite frequently over the next few years.
0: Now we've had another look at uh, the eternally disappointing fractional ownership uh, model for hotels um, certainly in the uk um, triggered uh, by the fact that uh, the the british authorities have sanctioned some former directors of a company that uh, bought a hotel did it up and then sold the rooms off uh, to individual investors um, promising them uh, a contractual level of returns or a buyback and, uh, guess what didn't happen company went bust uh, lots of money owing and poor uh, private individuals who had bought the hotel rooms uh, had, had nothing really to show for their their investment and it does seem that uh, certainly in the UK we live in a, an environment where these this type of operations can be set up uh, very easily uh, they're not really regulated um, you, you Promise your hotel rooms with a with a decent level of return, you, which means you can draw in private investors with small amounts of money. And then, um, uh, very rarely, do these models seem to work. It's a it's very unfortunate because it's a negative impact on the reputation of hotel investment.
1: Real estate is a very lumpy investment, and uh, unsophisticated and retail investors. It's 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 not a great thing to be directly investing in i would argue and there are better ways of structuring um um deals for uh retail investors than than direct investment models like uh, you know buy a hotel room um and all the wheels come off i think um I dug out um, clippings from um, back in two thousand and six. there was a group called the London Edinburgh Swallow group um, and uh, they went bust um, and it was you know a very unfortunate situation where a load of the freeholds of this group had been sold to uh, relatively unsophisticated investors um, and that the investors really hadn't got their heads around the fact that these properties had been Hugely over rented, and this huge over rent led to an overvaluation. And basically, the the they were left holding lumps of property which was which were worth significantly less than the the amount they'd paid. So they had a very big hit indeed. It was a very messy situation. Um, and you know as we've seen time and again with this Chris as you say all of these similar structures I mean you've only got to mention the word timeshare and the <laughs> terrible reputation that still has in Europe um, to know that it you know it, it's just not great from an investment perspective now I think timeshare can if it's packaged correctly be a good way to buy up Mm. front your holidays but it's not an investment it it is a good way to buy Mm. your holidays up front if it's sold as that that's not too bad the trouble is it's always sold with a nod and a wink even though it's officially legal to sell it as an investment in in Europe pretty much Um, it's always sold with a nod and a wink always a great investment too Uh, it's not it's a rubbish investment about 50% of the cost of of um of of any timeshare is goes into the selling process mm-hmm. it's rubbish um now even the best companies are like disney with timeshare they get that down to about 25 percent. that's still far too high to make it a a, a good investment i'd argue um so these direct you know direct real estate investment vehicles are not great and i think you know much better is more liquid uh structures which you know there is a professional manager in place in between the retail investor and the actual investment itself Open-ended property funds haven't been great in the past, um, and I think there's problems because um, what happens is we get into a recession and everybody tries to redeem. They then have to shut the the fund. We've seen this pretty much every recession we've had. Um, they've had to close down redemptions. Um, so I don't think they're a great vehicle. Closed-end funds are better, but they're you know extremely liquid by their very nature you don't have to be redeemed um, until the end of the period so I think that um, so REITs are the better route now we've we've Talked about REITs a lot um, in Hotel Analyst. Not so much lately. We've we've it's been very quiet on the REIT front. Oh, for a go- gosh, um, ten years I guess now. Um, we were involved um, in the early stages of the uh, REIT legislation in the UK. Hotel Analyst worked with uh, a Property Advisor and uh, and a law firm uh, CMS um, to submit a paper to the government on. On you know how you know we, we, they shouldn't be excluding hotels from the REIT legislation. Um, happy to say that that legislation was amended so that hotels could be a suitable vehicle now we've had another set of reforms in the REIT legislation and that came into force at the beginning of April of this year and there are rumors in the market that there's a whole bunch of dedicated hotel REITs um, you know in in sort of um, gestation at the moment and we're going to hear about Mm. them quite soon and I think these will probably initially be private Privately held uh, REITs. So one of the the. the one of the key reforms is that institutional investors can invest in a REIT structure without it being listed on a stock market so they can have these private vehicles. Um, also there's a, a rule um, in the previous legislation that uh, if you had more than 10% holding in these vehicles you get hit with a, um, an extra tax charge. Well that's been taken away and the, the need for a stock market listing has been taken away so I think we're going to see a few more of them but ultimately I think once we've have these in private hands we could well see dedicated hotel REITs coming to um, Mm. stock markets which will be a fantastic way for retail investors to engage in the hotel sector, um, the property bit of the hotel sector directly obviously you can well I mean you you could argue that you can get a bit of that through Whitbread but um, it's the opco as well as the propco you're getting there but if you just fancy the property bit of the hotel sector you know as these uh, hotel REITs get listed there'll be that opportunity we've had it to an extent with land securities but land securities are exiting their their hotel bits um so there's no real easy way to i mean there are some others lxi reit um we've written about um you know they're part of their their portfolio but there's certainly no dedicated uh, hotel company unlike interestingly um, student accommodation where we've got a couple of uh, dedicated student accommodation reads Um, it's certainly about time we had a few in the hotel sector I think and there are good signs we're going to get that and rather than these um, I would say um, problematic um, uh, direct investment schemes which are put you know out there in terms of you know buy room kind of things or timeshare or any of this stuff if if, if investments your game as a retail investor wait until these hotel reads come to move
0: pass. on to our five star and no star awards for this week and five stars andrew i think you're awarding to ihg for cleaning up
1: hey <laughs> yes um so they've pledged Um, a while ago to get rid of single-use plastics uh, by 2030. Well they're greatly accelerating that um, by a team up they've now got with consumer products group Unilever um, and this is going to enable them so uh, to switch much quicker to full size formats now what this means is uh, a fascinating fact came out of the press release that uh, 850 tons of plastic in the in the america's region alone are going to be saved by this mm. move that's quite something and apparently 850 t- tons is the weight of five fully grown mm. blue whales very good
0: yes so you'll uh, in future you'll be going into your IHG bathroom and having a big squirty bottle on the wall uh, rather than individual little ones. Um, so they're joining, I mean, uh, if you if you're already go into um, some of the Accor hotels and uh, premier inns in the UK, you will find this sort of thing on the wall. Um, but it's great to see them rolling this out across multiple brands and in multiple jurisdictions. So um, good news, hotels getting greener. And then uh, no stars this week, Andrew, for uh, dear friends of the Union bosses.
1: Well, yeah, and it's just the, the fact that we've got these train strikes again. Just just as you think things are beginning to get a bit better for the sector, um, we get these headwinds, the, 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 you know, just challenge. You can't really move around. Um, I'm heading to the airport on Saturday and, yeah, I've got to hire a taxi, of course. I mean, that's not a huge disaster. But uh, um, in terms of just... Uh, the numbers coming out to from to today's strike when we're we'll recording this on tuesday's the first day of the rail strike 27 percent drop in footfall in london this is enormous impact um more of, of course on the f and b side than the specific accommodation side but it for, for the broader hospitality industry this is a hit it does not need
0: and on that sanitary note we'll say goodbye for now